welcome to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. Today's guest is Cameron Schwab. Cameron has a lengthy history in sports administration and management. He has been the CEO at three AFL clubs, Richmond, Melbourne and Fremantle. In part one, we talk with Cameron about his life in sport. Special, very special guest, former CEO of three clubs, Cameron Schwab. That's great to be here. No, it's good to be talking footy again. Yeah, no, no it is. No, my, my family's uh, very Richmond and uh, obviously I spent time with the Demons and and Frio. But uh, no, it's funny when you when I when time left the game, I wasn't sure where my allegiances would end up. But I think it was like uh, within a short period of time, I found myself supporting the Tigers and the timing wasn't too bad. You know, they... Uh, yeah, it's an era to rejoice now, isn't it, for Richmond people? Well, it is, uh, and as we were saying pre-show, probably a dynasty. Uh, yeah. For those for those of the viewers who don't know Cameron, um, you had involvement to start with at Richmond, where you were one of the youngest, uh, if not the youngest, uh, administrators in the game. Yeah. Um, followed by Melbourne, then Frio, then back to Melbourne. So you've got a actually started at Melbourne. I started at Melbourne as the office boy way back okay. in the day. Yeah, and it was recruiting manager. At a really even relevant to this conversation, I suppose I was recruiting manager when um, the drafting rules first came in in um, 1986. So I was recruiting at Melbourne originally with Ron Barassi, then John Northey, and uh, I had this quite privileged upbringing. I, I grew up with Tommy Hopi in my, in my uh, kitchen, you know, talking footy with my dad Alan Schwab, and and then my very first job in footballs working as. Uh, I think my job description was to do whatever Ron Baresi asked me, and it might be the best job description I've ever had. <laughs> and, uh, so I did that and ended up recruiting. And I got my job in recruiting on my break in recruiting because I used to edit Ron Baresi's tapes for him. And, and that's he gave me the opportunity and, and then went to uh, Richmond, as you said, in pretty early days. I was 24 when I was CEO at Richmond. Yeah. So and then, did that. then for the next 25 years, I was a, a CEO of the other so, Richmond, Melbourne, and Korea. So Richmond, have you to thank? For the foundations that you laid. <laughs> no, so it was a 30 year plan, you reckon? So, <laughs> no, it was actually a pretty important time. It was, um, I had this conversation during the, well, the one thing the Tigers have done really well is, uh, oh, they've done a lot of things really well. But one of the things is before the grand finals, they get together with uh, the former CEOs, coaches, and, uh, and, uh, and Brendan Gale played his first game at, uh, at Richmond when I, was, when I was CEO there. And so he was this skinny kid from, from uh, Northern Tasmania, who um, who then went on and played 250 games, terrific player. And uh, I think there was a lot of lessons learned because the very first year of Brendan playing was the year we did the SLS campaign. So we effectively saved the club during that year. And uh, and so his heritage in the club uh, goes back to the game, the, the club's probably darkest times. And, and it also recognised probably there was a, a certain ruthlessness that we, which Richmond carried itself during that, you know, leading up to that era, which probably hadn't served it well in the in the modern era, and, and I think that probably came to prominence a little bit when they were faced into the you know the situation with um, Damien Hardwick at the end of 2016, and, and he, he had the reflection of uh, of um, you know that sort of the ruthless nature, if you like, and the one thing which they've done, they, they've almost turned their club from a ruthless club into a I think the number one value is uh, humility now, and that got tested a little bit at different times this year. But they're, 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 it's a remarkable story, really. Um, so you were saying that you had your initial grounding in recruiting at Melbourne, yeah, yeah. Um, and that you had something to do with the free agency rules that were, were drawn up. 
No, the weather was. My father, Alan Schwab, was um, was executive commissioner of the AFL during those times, and, and he travelled quite widely. He, I think, he was one of the first to really get on a plane and uh, and see what other sporting codes around the world were doing. And and it was way back in the early seventies, and Richmond were the power club, and he went to. Yeah, this this was a big thing in the day. Look, I, I remember my parents going overseas was just like no one's parents went overseas, you know. And and he travelled around the UK and he travelled around um, the US. And it, and I've got the original report that he actually put together. It's 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 quite folklore feasible document now where he talked about drafting for the first time and and the mix between drafting and free agency. Because you remember at that stage there was basically no movement of of, of players other than when they were, they had the ten year rule for a little while. Um, and that was then, that lasted, I think, one or two years. North Melbourne certainly made the most of it. And that was a form of free agency for 10 years, a long time. And But they were great players who did shift. And I suppose you had to be a great player the last 10 years back in those days. And 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 then around, it was Silvio Cascini when he took on the rules in, in the early 80s. And basically the game had to respond because the, the games were too, the rules were so restrictive that they weren't going to, survive the laws of the land and and really the balance has been pretty much that ever since and drafting was the first incarnation of that and that's evolved you know dramatically <coughs> past a while uh, over the last 20 years and but really it's always been that balance between freedom of movement for the athletes and the players and balanced against you know competitive even in competitive competition and uh, yeah, and really, when it was first when drafting was first introduced, the one thing which everyone said was that you will never have clubs win three or four premierships. And well, that's exactly what's happened. You've um, had a number of clubs who have actually had great years because what it what it shows if you get it right, you're harder to catch as well. So it's harder to bridge gaps um, in a drafted situation. So, but I think the the balance between free agency and movement of players for the benefit of the players and, and getting the most out of a short career versus competitive balance is really the, that's, that's the, that's the tightrope in which the AFL consistently walk. So free agency came in at the end of 2012. Yeah. Um, was that while you were still a CEO at a club? Yeah, it was. We um, it was just coming in at that time, and um, and and it was always, I think, seen as really um, the AFL. If the players' association are doing their job properly, they're they're creating as much opportunity as they can for the players. That's their role, and and they represent you know the whole of the player group. They've got a universal you know players' association. And, and, and free agency, you know, and, and everyone will say what its original views were. Really, a lot of people thought it was to, to give the opportunity to the player who just wasn't getting quite a go at their club because they were the third in line for a role and you know, they'd done the hard yards or it was an opportunity to make, you know, make some hay when the sun shone their way a little bit, where, whereas before, you know, you'd have players who might have been, you know, you know their, their, their earning potential was reduced by the fact that... Um, you know, they're playing in big clubs and um, and salary cap squeezes and all that. Well, it hasn't quite had that effect. It's had some of that, but not much. It's mainly been you know, an opportunity for players to, uh, in most cases, to go to the club so they can enjoy success. And uh, and so, therefore, it's actually put even more pressure on clubs to create an environment of which players, in fact, want to actually want to go to. Um, and there's been some 
surprise. Like Geelong has become a destin, you know, destination club. Whereas, you know, when I was coming through the system a little bit, you know, going down to Geelong wasn't seen as that, you know. Um, you know, the fact that Brisbane had, you know, looked to have done that, Sydney certainly achieved that. They, they weren't clubs which were ever considered to be sort of the, the classic destination clubs. Everyone thought it would be, you know, go to one of the big fours and they definitely benefited from that. Although, you know, Collingwood have struggled with it a bit and, it hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't had quite, it's always going to be far less predictable than what people thought it was going to be. Whenever you're trying to change a rule, look at a rule, um, it's, it's, it's outcome and its ramifications are often very different to what the intention was. And that's where you have to be, have to be treated and tread very carefully around them. How do you see having your experience in, in club land where you have the likes of a, say, Tom Lynch or, Patrick Dangerfield or um, Jeremy Cameron now mentioned it about yes. going to Geelong, where you're going to actually lose a player who probably means a, more to the club than most other players. Yes. And then, yes, your compensation is a draft pick, but you're never going to be able to replace that player. Well, the compensation was never really a big factor in it. It's interesting. The compensation was never seen as a thing which was going to... Uh, equate the compensation came in when GWS and Gold Coast came in, and the prospect was you were going to unfairly lose players. And, and the challenge actually when that happened, when, whenever you grow the competition and, and you've got to draw competitive teams from an existing player base or an incoming player base, you, you, the clubs who are most likely to get raided are the ones who are the most vulnerable at the time. And that's actually how it played out, you know, with you know, Scully. At Melbourne, and and that was never the intent. It wasn't to go for, you know, the second year player or the third year player. Um, and so the compensation thing was basically created as a form of that, and and it was seen to at least create some return for those clubs who were who were losing players. But then then when the free agency came, it was then extended into into that area. And so I think the first thing is you, you know, that you can't really compare the compensation with the loss of of the player. Uh, really. The value for all clubs or the importance for all clubs is is to create an environment that the players are either attracted to or don't want to leave, you know. And 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 that's is much easier said than done, clearly. There's a lot of factors which go into that. You know, if you're in an environment where, you know, I found for instance when I was in Perth, there was you know, it, it could be seen as a real disadvantage, as in you were, you know, you're trying to bring, you know, if you draft a Melbourne based player, well the chances are, you know, yeah, there's there's actually eight or nine or ten clubs knocking on that player's door at any at any time. You know that that was the hardest part. But you also knew West Australia was going to produce a lot of good players, so at least there was there, there was a potential of getting players back. And um, and so, but when you Gold Coast and, and GWS, there's none of that sort of go home factor. Although the interesting thing what Sydney did for a long time was they 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 created a wonderful environment for players to get attract, uh, attracted to, obviously by creating a great footy club and a very consistent performing football club. But also what they did was that there was a lot of players who were quite attracted to the to just being under the radar a little bit, you know, and, and Lockett sort of set that trend a little, you know, you know where he, he could almost live a life up there where he, where he was struggling. To so different clubs have different, um, you know, they bring different things to the game. And the Geelong one's a really interesting one at the moment where... Uh, Players are genuinely attracted to it because of almost the, um, you know, the talky lifestyle in some ways. Where you can be an elite player, but you can actually live by the beach, and um, and and also Geelong Falcons and the 
clubs down there produce a lot of a lot of talent over the years. So there's a go home. There's almost a um, a go home factor just in inside a go home factor. You know, it's uh, it's a it's been quite powerful for them, and they're a very attractive club to play for. They're well coached. They're well managed. They're playing in their own environment. You can live just out of town. It's just it's a pretty attractive place. But it certainly wasn't seen like that fifteen years ago. No, it wasn't. Uh, Judge, any any questions, Kuda? Cameron, I was just um, interested in the. Uh you mentioned GWS and Gold Coast. Um, now, now that the flurry of uh, number one draft choices is, I think, has stopped for those clubs, and they're pretty they've been stable now for a, a few years. I get the impression it seems to be now playing out that the uh, players will be leaving those clubs rather than wanting to go to those clubs. I think there will be a perception that GWS is on the slide. Yeah. Gold Coast, you know, had a good year, but. Um, Good according to their standards. Mm-hmm. I just wonder whether you, what you see the future of those clubs. Um, I think I see them both differently. That would be the first thing. Uh, I think the Gold Coast have a real opportunity. I would say uh, simply because they're again they offer something a little bit different lifestyle wise to to yeah. And, and there's a downside to that. But uh, I've, I've, I know a few of the people pretty well who are working from there, and I think they're on track. You know, and the other thing is that they're when you get a group of young players who are, who are really enjoying their relationship and the reasons they're there and looking to build something together, they've got a certain maturity about them. Um, if you get that side right, and, and they weren't miles wrong. When you, there was a little scene after the grand final yesterday where where it was Prestia, Lynch, and Ablett all on screen at the same at the same time. And the first thing which came to mind was that those guys would have sat in leadership team meetings trying to work out how they get their footy team up. But when it comes to the crunch, most most players in and around are very loyal to that that environment. Um, and, it, and it doesn't take much to, if you can just get it to go through various phases and various stages for it to become stable enough just to hold long enough. And my sense is Gold Coast are on track there. A little bit of a worry with the GWS that they might have just slipped out of that, you know, and it might be now if they're not careful a few, you know, a few players just that might tip into that little dangerous ground where you're also not getting quite the compensation as, as what you were coming the other way. I think that's a little bit dangerous for them. But I, so I think it's it's important we see them as very different. Um, you know, Jed, at this time last year, everyone was talking GWS up as, as the club who were the ones who got it right and Gold Coast were the ones who got it wrong. And, you know, I'm not sure... If people would think, you know, that, that, that if someone was looking at the future of the two clubs now, I think people would be just as optimistic about the prospects of uh, Gold Coast's GWS, whereas 12 months ago it certainly wasn't seen that way. I, I certainly agree with that. The, the only thing is I can't see um, GWS being a destination club. Um, no, no I, but I, again, I, I think if they... Yeah, I, I think it's it's... It's it's a weird thing the whole destination club thing. You know, if you just get it right, gee, I, I couldn't have seen my cousin Peter Schwab was uh, recruiting with uh, Brisbane. You know, three years ago, four years ago, and gee, could they have? Yeah. They couldn't attract anyone. You know, and and you know, to their credit, they they they've got it pretty right. And and I would have thought that they're pretty. You know, they're they are an attractive club to play for. You know. Yeah, well, well coached players talking their coach up. Um, they've turned the gather into something a bit special. They've still got an enormous amount of challenges. I'm, I'm sure that Greg Swan wakes up in the middle of the night still wondering how he's going to see through the next phase, particularly the development of facilities, that sort of stuff with the 
you know, with the revenue model of the game being disrupted as it has. But, you know, the fact that, you know, Joe again, a terrific player, hopefully comes good, all that sort of stuff. He says, no, I want to go and play at Brisbane. Well, that, that, wouldn't, that wasn't talked of, you know, 18 months ago. So it can change pretty quickly. And almost, you know, if, if I reflect on my own time, at the times when um, I knew that we were on track was really under, under the measure you're talking about. And that if you, we'd actually created an environment where clubs, players wanted to come to, uh, and, and sometimes it would change in six months. It literally would. You'd, you'd, you'd have a good run at the end of the year and all of a sudden player managers were thinking a little bit differently about you. Parents were thinking a bit differently about you. You know, a couple of good little re, couple of re-signings just clicked in and just that little bit of momentum just changed and went your way. But, you know, look, it's obviously worried with the number of players who have left in, in recent times. You know, you, you could pick... You could pick a better GWS team with players playing outside of GWS and you could with players playing inside GWS, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's and that was maybe always going to happen in its own in its own little way. Um, but you know, I, I again I, I it's easy to get pessimistic and, and uh, but it's there's no question it's a challenge for you know, for Dave Matthews and you know Leon Cameron and Well it's like you heard Andrew Demetrio speak about it fifteen years ago or whenever it was, 12 years ago. Uh, I mean, the, the, the language that came out of, and Paul Dowling will back this up, the language... I'm about to jump in, yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was just in cataclysmic terms, what, what they were going to do to rugby league. And, and I actually think I actually think you put the game backwards. There you go. Paul. They use the word, um, and you won't find it online, Cameron, Paul Dowling and I do the rugby league segment. Um, he used the word exterminate rugby league in Western Sydney. Now, I'm not sure how well that project's going. Probably about as well as his evidence at the Crown Inquiry. But um, I, I might surprise everyone. I'm actually quite positive on the Gold Coast. It's the fastest growing area in the country. Um, the Titans only last year were a basket case. They added a battler called Mal Meninga um, in as a performance director, and they've now got a buzz about the place. Yeah. There's the opportunity in the Gold Coast now for both codes to make it work where no code ever has before. It's the fastest yeah. growing area in the country. I think it's a great place to live. Yeah. And the Titans, if they manage to snaffle Cameron Smith out of a hat, I don't think that's going to happen. But even without him, they've got a really good roster there and yeah. it's a great place to live. And there's millions of people there that they can make it work. But I'm much more pessimistic on GWS and still... Yeah. Most people in rugby league land won't forgive that that type of language exterminate because there was no need for that type of aggression. Um, there's three or four million people in Western Sydney. Both codes could work, but he seemed to take the dictator path. He's uh, just being matched by the moment uh, by Peter from uh, Racing New South Wales, isn't he? <laughs> yes. That little man with funny ideas. It didn't do too bad on the Everest, but uh, no, he's, he's running rugby league very well. And uh, I think the code's going... Great guns in the Gold Coast. There's talk of another Queensland team being added as well in the Brisbane area. Could you imagine being the CEO under uh, Peter Volandis? Or Mal Meninga. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't. <laughs> I was the CEO under Joe Goodnick, though, so look. Like, <laughs> 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 I have got some track records. A bit different in physical stature to Mal Meninga, but possibly more imposing oh. even. Uh, no, no, there was, oh, no, you got to choose your bosses wisely. That's one of the great <laughs> lessons. So, and it wasn't one I necessarily learned all that well, but um, well, sometimes Cam- my heart ruled my head. So. Cameron, that would be another, another show just in its own right, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, it would be. Oh, look, it, it is a challenge. You know, there's, um, you know, I, I went, you know, you know, I'm really open about it, but, you know, I, 
I should have never gone back to Melbourne. It was just, it was the wrong call for me personally. Um, I gave it the guts. I reckon I did the best work in my whole career. And it sounds weird when you say that, but it's, um, it just was bad timing, bad everything, really. But I just was so, um, you know, it was Jimmy Stein, really, as much as anything, who, um, pleading would be too big a word, but it was really, you know, it was get back the group of people who just genuinely cared and, um, um, but it was just the timing was all wrong personally for me and uh, and uh, probably for the club as well in that sense. Cameron, uh, yes or no, uh, a team for Tasmania? Oh, I'd love a team in Tasmania. If I had one dream job in life, it would be the CEO of the Tasmanian Football Club, yeah. Would it, would it work? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't think one thing is, is there, there's always a... Um, there's always a challenge with with any sporting environment. Look, it, it sounds like I know I've got some demon supporters here, but Melbourne is an unbelievably small club. Look, if people underestimate just how I, I remember actually it was around the merger time, and yeah, and Melbourne was seen as the bigger club in that. That was the crazy thing about it is that Melbourne's got less than two hundred thousand supporters, less than you know. That and but it's actually got the the highest member to supporter ratio uh, in the AFL by a significant amount, despite the fact that most of their support a lot of their supporters are NCC members. <laughs> but it, it's a it's a it, Melbourne is the best club in the competition at drawing from it, and it might be something to do with its demographic. They're all close to the city, that sort of stuff. So there's there is that element to it, and so everyone says, oh, you've got to be a certain size club to. Well, I'll, I'll go and you know. I, when, when I finished off at Melbourne, the one, the one club I'm almost as passionate about, you know, in growing up, and when I was a young fellow, I was in the rooms at the Richmond Footy Club and the old punt road, the old uh, little small rooms in the old MCG, and they had a Vince Lombardi sign up there, you know, winning isn't everything wanting to win is. And so I became obsessed with the Green Bay Packers, you know. So when, when I finished up in uh, Melbourne, I actually went over and watched a game of the Green Bay Packers play. Well, I reckon the only one who's ever done that vigil, you know, in They'd never met an Australian before, I don't think, in, at, at Green Bay. Well, if, it, if the Green Bay Packers can work out a Green Bay, mate, there's no doubt a team can work out a Tassie. And because it's it's not necessarily just about what's in that. It's it's creating something which is unique to that area. And Tasmania will create something which is special to them because that's what Tassie's actually done for the last however many years. And and it doesn't necessarily, it won't be like Melbourne, it won't be like Richmond, it won't be like GWS, it won't it'd be like Tassie. And, and it'll, it'll bring a folklore and an idea and a thought and uh, it'll bring its own idiosyncratic way to it and it would just add so much colour and flavour and it would just be special, I reckon. It would... That's the best explanation I've heard for getting aside to Tasmania and the usual arguments just fall away when you hear about that kind of passion but also logic. Uh, Tasmania yeah. will be different but also it'll, it will succeed because... The they people love the game. Mate, they oh, love the game and they know the game. And they've got a history and, of the game. Yeah, and, and it's just, uh, you know, and, and as much as they love, and, they, and they'll all love Carlton and Richmond, they've all got their teams now. But don't worry, they'll jump on board. Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. Our next episode will feature part two of our chat with Cameron Schwab.